Dear listeners, before we begin, we need to be very clear about an aspect of this week's topic. We are going to, again, be talking about David Icke. That Icke, yes, it's spelt I-C-K-E, but it's pronounced Icke. And not, we need to make this clear, not Icke. Which is why the titles of our previous episodes devoted to the man, Ike Ike Baby, The Ike Man Cometh, A Song of Ike and Fire, are, quite frankly, hilarious wordplay. Mm, which we, they would not have been if we were making plays on the name Ick. So to reiterate, if you think his name is pronounced Ick, you are implying that we are not the side-splitting wordsmiths we know ourselves to be. So... Don't do that. Furthermore, it's imperative that you use the correct pronunciation for this week's title, We Like Ike. A reference, of course, to the famous political campaign slogan for US President Dwight D. Eisenhower. Josh, how is Ike short for Dwight? I think it's short for Eisenhower? Not important. What is important is that you look at the title of this episode and burst into fully justified paroxysms of laughter at a classic reference to a cultural touchstone. The alternative would be to read it aloud and think we lick ick. Now, I'm not saying we don't. I am. We just don't want you to get the wrong idea. So once again, Ike, not ick. Yes, get it right or we'll have to come and hit you with a stike. <laughs> The podcast's Guide to the Conspiracy, featuring Josh Addison and M. Dentoff. Hello and welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. I am Josh Addison, they are Dr. Ian Dentith. We are both in Auckland, but in different places today. Auckland, if you haven't been keeping up with events, is, is a rainy city at the best of times, and it's it's kind of the worst of times at the moment. It's super rainy, and there was an accident on the Harbour Bridge, which is the way I drive to get to M's house for Sorry, recording. You, so you drive like it's an accident on the Harbour Bridge? Yes, you drive exactly. like it's an accident. Yeah, what? There has been an accident on the place, which is where I drive, and so I could not get to M's residence this evening for a joint in-person recording, so we're doing it over the internet, like you can even tell, probably. I don't know. Well, I mean, there's going to be completely different sound levels. There's going to be different echoes. I mean, it's going to be very obvious that it's been recorded in two different locations, but frankly, it could also be post-production. We live mm. in a world of deep fakes now. Who knows? It's magic. Literally anything could be literally anything else. So, yes, David Icke. We're going to talk about him again because we're doing now. We're actually justified now that we've started doing our Back to the Conspiracy series. We can we can go back and revisit an old topic. And and it's not us. It's not be. It's not lazy hackery. It's a it's a it's a, a informative update on a topic that. I, I don't I don't know. It sounded like a good idea at the time. I mean, it is the fourth time we're covering David Icke. I don't think we've it given can, one way or another. Else. Yes. I mean, have we even devoted a single entire episode to Alex uh, Emmerich? Sorry, I was thinking, what is Alex Jones's middle name? And I was going Roland because I was thinking Roland Emmerich, or uh, of course Independence Day hmm. twenty twelve, Stargate, Independence Day two, Resurgence, which is a I mean, I didn't think Independence Day was a very good film, but Independence in, in Independence Day, Independence mm. Day Two, the sequel to Independence Day, they even changed the pronunciation of Independence for the sequel Independence Day. Mm, much more Truly New Zealand accent. Terrible film. Truly terrible film. Never saw it, and I feel no need to. It ends with a sequel hook. 
And it's very likely that sequel will never be made. Mm, mm, probably for the best. But yes, David Icke, we're going to talk about him again, immediately after the playing of a sting. So, I mean, to the extent that MH370 is the is the foundational text, foundational event for this podcast, David Icke is probably the foundational person for it. Well, he's know. the only person we've interviewed of a an actual conspiracy mm. theorist of prominence. Mm. Yes, we have, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Now, I mean, we, we, we're talking about David Icke on... Uh, as as though you all know who we're talking about, and that's probably a safe assumption. But maybe, yeah. Although it's interesting, and once again, like I've become very aware. I say everything is interesting, hmm. but this is everything interesting. is interesting. And I'm also aware that I now justify saying things are interesting by saying that things are actually interesting. But this is a legitimate point of interest because as someone who works on conspiracy theory theory and writes on conspiracy theories, you would be astounded by how many people working in the field who don't know either David Icke or Alex Jones. And I don't mean personally, I just mean as prominent conspiracy theorists. Now, sometimes this is explained by where in the world they are. Americans are much more likely to know who Alex Jones is than they are to know who David Icke is. And conversely, people in the UK and to a lesser extent the EU are more likely to know the name David Icke than Alex Jones. But I have met quite a number of people working in the field who will either go, I don't know who that is, or will go, oh, I thought he died years ago and think he's a non-existent figure in the conspiracy theory community. Now, part of that is also going to be the kind of conspiracy theories that people are interested in. If you're the kind of person who's interested in QAnon conspiracy theories, David Icke really doesn't feature that much in that type of conspiracy theorizing or discussion of the attendant conspiracy theories. So there will be people who are long-term listeners to this podcast who are interested in conspiracy theories who will go... I think I've heard the name, but I don't know who that is. So, Josh, tell me, why are we talking about an old English footballer? Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I could, I, I, I know sort of in, in the in the skier quotes mainstream society, David Icke is not a person who many people have heard of. I would, I would have thought if you've been listening to this podcast for not too long of an amount of time, we, we, we mention him enough that you must get the idea, but it's probably, yeah, I, I don't know, it's been quite a long time since we've actually gone right back to the basics and who he is and what he says and where he started. So David Icke started uh, playing playing football, that's soccer if you're American, um, in England in the 1960s. Um, he sounded like he had a bit of a promising career ahead of him, but unfortunately uh, he developed rheumatoid arthritis in his knee and had to retire in 1973, age just 21. And from there he pivoted into journalism and uh, sort of sort of work, worked his way up from newspapers, I think. And by 1981, he was a sports reporter for Newsnight on the BBC. 
And uh, from then on, he, he had a, a bunch of various other sports presenter roles. I think he, he, he was like a, a reporter for the Commonwealth Games or the Olympic Games one year and things like that. He would eventually be dumped by the BBC in 1991 for refusing to pay the poll tax, which I never quite understood what the poll tax was, but I'm given to believe it was a bad thing. That's a good point. As you continue explaining was, the I, life was, of... Yeah. Let me just it was, check poll tax. It was, it was Margaret Thatcher's okay. sort Ages. of um, introducing like a, some sort of a flat tax thing, but I gather you... If a you... fixed tax per adult resident, although there was a reduction for poor people. This is from the Wikipedia page, poll tax in Great Britain. So the community charge, commonly known as the poll tax, was a system of taxation introduced by Thatcher in replacement of domestic rates in Scotland from 1989 prior to its introduction in England and Wales from 1990, it provided for a single flat rate per capita tax on every adult at a rate set by the local authority. The charge was replaced by the council tax in 1993, two years after its abolition was announced. So I I gather it was thought by many to be deeply unfair and so, uh, as we'll talk about in just a second, David Icke's... Uh, yeah, so basically means, they went from a payment per household to a payment per individual. Anyway, not what we're here to talk about today. In the 1980s, he started to get into alternative medicines, I think largely looking for a decent treatment for his arthritic knee. And, and he sort of became progressively just alternative in general. He, uh, speaking of his politics, he became he joined the Green Party, the British Green Party, and became, I'm not sure if he was actually a candidate for them, but he was a vocal spokesperson for them. And this all culminated in a trip to Peru in 1991, where he had some sort of spiritual awakening, awakening of some kind, came back and, flanked by his family, held a press conference in 1991 where he announced that he was a son of the Godhead and that, among other things, the world was going to end in 1997. Now, it is important to point out that 1991 was the year that Terminator 2 was released, and uh, both Terminator 2 and and the original said that the world was going to end in 1997, so maybe he was just getting his wires crossed a little bit there. Well, as we'll discuss, David Icke really likes watching films and feels that films contain within them coded messages by the people who roll us... Who roll us? Yeah, the people who roll us. Yep, people who keep on rolling us and also rule us from behind the scenes. Rolling and rolling, those rolling rollers or rolling rollers always doing their business behind closed curtains. So yes, he'd been into some sort of slightly weird hippy-dippy stuff, uh, which was getting sort of progressively so, but it wasn't until this time in 1991 that he sort of became this, this figurehead of conspiracy theories because of the Wogan interview. Tell me about the Wogan interview. So Terry Wogan was i think he's dead i haven't actually checked because it doesn't really matter for this part of the story mm. he was a media personality in the uk and he had the show wogan where he interviewed prominent people and one of the prominent people he interviewed was one david ike who died in 2016 the there we go thank you Wikipedia. so he's very definitely dead and yeah. probably not coming back soon mm. so he, he interviews David Icke in part because Icke has made the news about his kind of weird claims. So Icke comes onto the show wearing a purple or violet 
Shell shell ah, shell suit. That's one of those shell words. One of those nylon-y, tracksuit-y things, yeah. And also a word that speech disfluency makes hard to pronounce. His shell suit. And Wogan presses him on the, you know, do you really think that you're the reincarnation of God, the second coming of the Messiah, etc., etc.? And David Icke says, yes. And one thing we can say about British culture is they don't like people lording it above other people, unless, of course, you turn out to be the king, at which point you're allowed to have a massively expensive and pointless coronation. Mm. But if you if you claim to be the second coming of the Messiah, the British people are going to think you've got ideas above your station, and they're going to make fun of you. No, anoint someone with, with unctment in order to give them the divine right to rule a country, that's fine. Claim to be the second coming of the Messiah. No, apparently that is well beyond our ken. As you can tell, I, I have views about the monarchy. Really? And views oh. about being a Republican. Mm. So, yeah, he he admits to being the second coming of the Messiah, the reincarnation of the Godhead, etc., etc., and basically gets laughed out of British society, such that he actually leaves the UK. I believe he goes to Africa for quite some time, and then re-emerges, I think, five to eight years afterwards, and begins the current trajectory we'll be talking about of David Icke, the modern conspiracy mm. theory theorist phenomena. Well, he started he started writing books fairly quickly because that was so, so that the interview was ninety one, and then the Wogan, or sorry, the press conference was ninety one, and then the Wogan interview was also ninety one. I think he released his first book in like ninety three, ninety four. So he did start yeah, writing the, fairly that's quickly. The, but that's then, the Rise of the Robots. Uh, I think Rise of the Robots was the, was that the second, second one? one. That was the second one. Yeah. Or was it? Oh, sorry, the. Ro- the Ro- Robots Rebellion, mm. I think, is the is the second book. Yeah, I think Rise of the Robots was that really crappy beat 'em up on the Amiga five hundred. Then got ported to the CD thirty two. Mm. But yes, yeah, so so he did. He he became a national laughing stock in in very short order. He like these days. These days, he's he's um. He's certainly uh, capable of, of laughing to himself, uh, laughing about himself. And these days, yeah, we'll say, the, oh, the, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, the first time I saw footage of the Wogan interview was at one of the David Icke talks I attended. So David Icke played a snippet of the interview and was making fun of himself as it was being played by making fun of what he was wearing at the time, what he was saying at the time, and the arrogance of having that kind of belief. So David Icke will admit he made a huge blunder in 1991, but the blunder he made was not understanding the message he was being told rather than exactly what he said at the time. Mm. So, so yes, he starts putting out books. He starts putting out a lot of books. Um, he basically puts out about a book a year. Yeah, well, initially, so um, I'm just looking at his bibliography here. He wrote five books between 92 and 1994. Four of his books were published in 1993, I think. So, yeah, he, 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 he churned out a whole bunch of them in, in quick order, and then his, as you say, basically been putting out one a year ever since. And has kind of built himself quite quite the following. He he was a good adopter of the internet, I think, when it came to 
sort of spreading his his views and what have you. And now he's a person who can go. Yes, you're quite right, Josh. He is a person. He is definitely still a he's person. He's very definitely a person who can go from country to country on on these speaking tours, putting on shows that will be relatively well attended. Well, I mean, well, he I mean, gave a talk in Wembley last year, which had I think about 90,000 people mm. attend. And the two talks he's given in Auckland that I've attended have been, relative to the population, quite well attended. I think the last talk I attended, which was in 2016, there was about 800 people in attendance. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, he, he does have quite a following. He's not, again, he, he perhaps doesn't have, have a, a mainstream level of fame, but lots of people know who he is, and lots of people are very interested in what he has to say. So maybe we should talk about what he has to say. Um, I, sh- I, I guess p- perhaps a quick summary. We first talked about David Icke in episode 10 of this very podcast, all the way back in July of 2014. And we basically just ga- gave a bit of an overview of the guy, who he is, what does he believe, how sincere is he in his beliefs, which we might want to come back to. We might indeed. We um, we interviewed him. So as Em said, we, we have, we've spoken to the man himself over... I mean, over... I say we've spoken to him... I think we uttered some words and then his autopilot engaged and he gave 15-minute answers. He did. Yes, I mean, he was, like, we, I remember beforehand we sort of said to our listeners at the time, if you have any questions we want to ask him, put them through, and... And then, I, and so we'd, we'd asked him a bunch of stuff. Often, you know, they're, they're along the lines of, you know, how can you be so sure of this? What are you wrong? Why haven't they gotten rid of you? These these nefarious forces who you think run the world and stuff. And we put these two, and he basically, because he's been doing this since the nineties, he, he has an answer prepared for were, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. None of our questions were in any way original. No, no, exactly. So uh, afterwards, some some of our listeners commented that they they would have liked to have seen us sort of challenge him on his views a bit more. But we were kind of the opinion that he kind of, he he isn't really challengeable. Like he has an answer for everything. And a lot of it isn't stuff that can be sort of, you know, refuted other than by saying that's patently, obviously nonsense. Um, and he'd just say, and no, once again, fifteen-minute-long mm-hmm. answers. Even yes. it's so basically, it's the gish gallop. You ask David Icke a simple question, he gives you a very, very long answer, and then you can criticize him on small aspects of that long answer. But he will always have the victory in the end because his answer was so long, there's no way to criticize the entire thing. You can narrow your focus and go, but what about this thing? And then he'll give you another 10 to 15 minute long answer as to why you're wrong to criticize him on that thing. And basically, there is no easy way in an interview format to be able to challenge David Icke. We felt it was a much better situation to simply let our listeners hear what hmm. David Icke had to say, and it should be said, he's a lovely man to talk to. He's he's very he's very very personable, very very friendly to chat to. But yes, he's. Well, he's I mean, got he, his he's one answers. of the nicer anti-Semites we've had. Com- we've had conversations we'll, we'll, with. Yeah, we'll get to the anti-Semitism as well. And then uh, the last time we devoted a full episode to him was then episode 111 in August 2016, which is when you attended. His uh, his talk that had been given here recently, just before I went to Romania for the first time, indeed, and and gave us a report and on also that. Also, when I almost died. Yes, that was that that was 
I mean, there's there's no way to sugarcoat it. Almost entirely my fault. Um, we had we had recorded an episode the week before when I had been sort of coming down with a cold, and um, which of course locking myself in a room with M for an hour and an hour or so of recording almost definitely infected you with it, and then you went off to. David Icke's thing, which was what eight hours long, something like yeah. that, with a horrible felt, head cold. Yeah. Oh, I felt fine in the morning, but halfway through the first section, so about mid morning, I get that kind of scratch in the back of my mm. throat, and my nasal passages start to feel as if they're congealing. And then, as the day went on, I was going, yeah, I, I almost feel feverish now. I, I'm, I, I'm in a large. I mean, it was at the. Auckland Event Centre, which is just a large metal building with no heating whatsoever. So I was freezing cold, feeling fear. And I mean, this is in August, which is a cold month in Auckland anyway. Yes, that's using Getting increasingly sick, trying to concentrate on what David Icke is going to say, because David Icke's arguments basically are one long slippery slope arguments. You want to spend some time trying to track if A then B, if B then C, if C then D, and go, all right, so what's the likelihood of A to B in the first place, let alone B to C? And also, how plausible was A? Because now we're already on B as if A is true. So feeling more and more ill. And the people I was with at the time were going, look, it's fine. If we think you're actually about to collapse and die, we'll just make sure that we drag you up on stage so you can die at David Icke's feet. And so that can be kind of your memorial. Mm. They died at the feet of their hero. Mm. And um, so th- that was the last time we had a full episode just devoted to David Icke. But we have done several episodes in the past where we've uh, gone and taken a look at the websites of various various conspiracy theorists to see what sort of things they're up to. And DavidIcke.com has always been one of those websites. But now we're back to talking about the man full time for an episode. So, I mean, yeah, his, his actual beliefs. So the first... I'm, I'm probably sure this is true for you. It's definitely true for me. And I think I think for a lot of people, the first we heard about David Icke was he's the reptilian shapeshifters guy. He's the guy who says that the world is run by shapeshifting reptilian aliens who who dominate all the sort of the the the, the, the families, the uh, the the, the bloodlines, the, the, blood blood the bloodlines that secretly run the world particularly the Jewish bloodline that that allegedly run the world. So, yes. So there was um there was a lot of that. So he said like here we go. Here's an interview from 2006 actually I thought it would have been a bit older than that he says when you get back into the ancient world you find this recurring theme of a union between a non-human race and humans creating a hybrid race from 1998 I started coming across people who told me they had seen people change into a non-human form it's an age-old phenomenon known as shape-shifting the basic form is like a scaly humanoid with reptilian rather than humanoid eyes and that that was that, that that was the attention getting bit. That was the you know that 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 was the thing that people would hear and go, "Hang on, I want to I want to hear about more of this." There, there was a lot more. There was a lot more of this. And would, would would that he were only saying the world is controlled by shape shifting aliens? Uh, that that would be quite enough. But he says a lot more, a lot more than that. And his and his and has built upon his views as the world goes on. But what sort of other stuff is there? Well, you know. 
Whilst we're on the alien shapeshifting reptiles, and we've already mentioned how David Icke likes his media, it's very interesting to note that in 1983, the first V mm. miniseries played. Now, for those of you who don't remember 1983, weren't born in 1983, or don't know about classic science fiction from the early 80s, V, the miniseries, was predicated on the idea that an alien race comes to Earth claiming that they're going to give humans wealth, prosperity, and unlimited food. And it turns out that even though they look human, they're simply wearing human skin suits because beneath those suits are alien reptiloid facial features. And also they're here to consume humans and drink their blood. Mm. And strangely enough, David Icke's theory about the reptilians is that they, they, they coddle particular people into thinking that actually the shapeshifting reptilians are here to promote human prosperity but really their secret plan is to dominate us all it's kind of intriguing that around about the time that the the miniseries comes out david ike starts to become really really interested in alien shape-shifting reptiles mm. and after the matrix came out he 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 got a lot a lot more into the idea that reality is not as we perceive it and more... when I saw him in 2016, he was really, really big on the notion of the Hunger Games Society, that the world government was going to divide the world up into particular zones of production and then make us compete against one another. It does seem that every single time that David Icke watches a bit of pop culture, he goes, oh, this is evidence of what they are up to. Because David Icke belongs to that long tradition of that particular kind of conspiracy theorist who believes that the people who are in control of our society cannot help themselves but put clues to their plots in popular culture, in artistic works, in books and the like. Mm. Now, he... He gets a lot more, a lot more cosmic, I guess you'd say, in his in his theories about the nature of, of reality. He talks about about the universe being made up of of vibrational energy, and that we can tune into different wavelengths. Much Both of, uh, good and bad vibrations. Mm, and we're of, talking here about bad vibrations. Mm, kind of similar to the um, Gateway Project stuff we were talking about last week. But you can you can you can tune your mind into these different things, and that because of because of we we're all just made up of this vibrational energy. As I recall, when we when we asked him the question, if you're out there telling these truths about the nefarious forces that run the world, why haven't they tried to silence you? Uh, why, why haven't you know? Why, why do you still draw breath? And his answer basically was along the lines of that I, I can't be killed because I'm just I'm just energy as we all are, and I can't can be neither destroyed nor created. I you know there's there's nothing they can do to me because. Because my energy will always exist. I mean, it, 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 it did me a little that bit. Would there, true, that would be true of everyone, at which point, what is the whole point of eliminating anyone? Well, say, exactly. Yeah. But there's a lot of, you know, time is an illusion. It's, it's just an infinite now. And then there's the whole, there's there's the uh, the other aspects of his cosmology. He um, thinks the moon's not real. 
or at least the moon is artificial. Yeah, so the moon is the moon is a satellite of the Earth. He is willing to say that, but it's not a natural satellite. It is in fact a space station, much like the Death Star. In fact, he will actually use diagrams of the Death Star when talking about the fact the moon is a hollow satellite orbiting the Earth. He will then focus on the idea that John Carpenter, the director of They Live, was also a special effects designer on the original Star Wars film, and go, well, look, They Live is the kind of urtex that shows us that we are being controlled by alien reptiles from beyond the stars, and John Carpenter thus is a prophet, and thus the design of the Death Star, which of course must be John Carpenter's design, is an indication he's showing us that the moon is actually a a artificial satellite. It should be pointed out there was a John Carpenter who worked on Star Wars A New Hope. It is not the same John Carpenter as the director of They Live. David Icke does not believe that people can have the same name but be different individuals. If you've got the same name, you must be the same person. Mm. Now the moon is repeating a signal from the planet Saturn. Now, Josh, when I say Saturn, what does that suggest to you? Um, shiny bedsheets. Ah, knights in white Saturn. Mm, exactly. No, but you should be thinking Satan. Yes, no, I, well, I'm, I'm just always thinking Satan, you see. So when you ask me to come up with something something, something exceptional, that's, that's where my mind went. And Otherwise, it's all Satan. Satan, the planet Saturn, is broadcasting a signal which is picked up by the moon and then amplified onto Earth to create the perception that we are living in a decaying reality. Because according to David Icke, climate change is one of the ultimate conspiracies being foisted upon the human people on the prison planet that we live on. And that we are being convinced the world is falling into environmental ruin. But that is the signal from Satan persuading us to believe the world is actually decaying, when if we were to break the signal and see the world as it is, we would realize that we live in a land of milk and honey. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Again, leaving aside the anti-Semitism for a moment, we will get into that. When I'd heard him speak in, in... When I sort of heard what he talks about in previous times, it was often quite a quite a positive message, or at least it wasn't like you know like your QAnons or other other things who talk about how the, there are these this this new world order or whatever you want these evil forces who secretly control the world and the the messages you know we we have to resist we have to take action we have to go shoot up a pizza place because we think there's child slaves in the basement or something whereas david ike's message has always sort of been we just we just need to we just all need to love each other man we just need to come together and and and, and generate positive vibes now I think perhaps we've, we, we, we may have reached the point of a Back to the Conspiracy episode where we need to start looking at how things have changed since we last visited this topic, because in more recent times, it certainly seems that his message has become more overtly negative when, in terms of climate change denial, in terms of anti-vax COVID stuff, anti-lockdown stuff. He seems to be a lot less about positive vibes than he used to be. Yeah, so as you point out, his message, even though it's always been a little odd, 
a bit anti-Semitic, and by a bit, we'll be talking about that soon. And when I say a bit there, I I am really putting air quotes Mm. around a bit. But he's always been of the opinion, until recently, that the best way to escape the system of control being foisted upon us by the Archons or the alien shape-shifting reptiles is to simply think positively and break the control they have over us. So he's been of the opinion that as long as people start thinking synchronistically together all the time, then the system of control that's been foisted upon us will be broken. Now, in the age of COVID, that story seems a little broken itself, because we haven't really talked about David Icke, well, basically since 2016. And between 2016 and now, there's been a COVID pandemic. And David Icke has kind of come back into prominence. Now, I was trying to work out whether he's ever actually lost any of his cachet. Certainly, I think for a lot of people, David Icke was kind of considered a relic of an earlier age of conspiracy theorizing. But David Icke is big again in the UK. And he's big again in the UK because he's the face of COVID protest, or at least one of the prominent faces of COVID protest, because he was really, really big on the notion that A, the COVID lockdowns were an affront to human dignity, and B, COVID isn't real. Mm. And he's there's the anti-COVID stuff, there's the anti-climate change denial type stuff, and then I gather he's he's getting into the anti-trans stuff as well. Oh which... yes, yes, he's he's really big on gender, and by being really big on gender, he's really big on gender binaries. Mm. And the thing is, like I, I used to I used to associate him with being a guy who sort of he, he charted his own course. He he was off doing his own his own weird thing, and yet in recent times it feels like he's just doing a hell of a lot more bandwagon jumping. All of these things that he's talking about are the things that dozens of other sort of you know right-wing media types are going on about because they all know it's a good way to get attention now and i mean he's always there's always been the question of how sincere he is in terms of how much of this is stuff he really believes and how much of it is a way for him to make money selling his books and doing his speaking performances that seems to it just feels a lot more a lot more naked in his attempt to just jump onto a thing that he knows is going to get him lots of clicks i mean i guess if we're going to talk about the anti-Semitism, this is the right time to talk mm. about it. Because on one respect, yes, it always seemed like David Icke was a unique figure in the conspiracy theory landscape because he was, depending on who you talk to, the originator of the notion of alien shape-shifting reptiles. Although people will point out that there was a Romanian, Lauren Fortuna, who had a similar notion. You look at the OTO and the idea of controlling powers in the background there, and that seems to come in. I mean, you look at Scientology and the notion of who was actually in control of human civilization, and there's actually a whole bunch of pre-David Icke uh, conspirituality or religious beliefs which actually have a lot of the same aspects but he kind of made it into a package as delivered by David Icke and yet at the same time one of the recurring recurrent not 
Well, I suppose I could say recurring. Mm. One of the recurring or recurrent features of David Icke's view is that there are certain families who are in control of the world and imposing their control upon other people. And it just turns out, for some reason, that the names of these families are associated with prominent Jewish families that have been the targets of anti-Semitic conspiracy theories going back since time immemorial, or at least for the last few hundred years. Yes. And that's not unique to David Icke. That is stuff which predates David Icke, which he's been trading upon for a very long time. Yes, so the earliest stuff I used to hear about David Icke, that would be, here's a guy who says that prominent influential families throughout the world secretly shape-shifting, blood-drinking reptilian aliens who, or the hybrid offspring or the hybrid offspring of the of shape-shifting mm. aliens and and people would say okay well that we, the, we we've heard this before when you say the world's controlled by shape-shifting reptiles what you really mean is the world's controlled by jews don't you that's it's just like a metaphor and especially when those families are the rothschilds or the rockefellers and you go I mean, you're not even hiding it. You're yeah, using I mean, he did. Jewish families as emblematic of the families who control us. At the time, I mean, he, he also included the Bushes and the British royal family, but yeah, he... he, he but all claiming all the, that, they're, that they're all they're related. They're all related, yes. That's the so, thing. You know, so again, then you get crypto anti-Semitism, the idea that, oh, I'm not talking about the Jews, but I am saying they're related to Jewish people. Mm. And uh, early on... Yeah, you get the claim. He says he says the world's controlled by shapeshifting realized, but you know, shapeshifting reptiles. But really, he he means the world's controlled by Jews. And then people would look into him, the stuff he's said, and you know, look at his ninety-one interview and and the the sorts of crazy stuff he said. And said, no, actually, this guy really does believe in shapeshifting reptiles, but who just coincidentally appear to belong to families with Jewish names. Now he has tried to defend himself with this by saying, I don't hate Jews. I simply hate alien shape-shifting reptiles who happen to be in Jewish families. Yes. So what he's basically saying, he hates alien shape-shifting reptiles, and if they happen to be Jewish as well, was the hatred of the alien shape-shifting reptiles driving the bigotry, not the Jewishness driving the bigotry. Yes, that will be his line. He, he, he doesn't hate the Jewish people in any way, shape, or form, he just hates the he he hates the shape shifting reptilians, some of whom happen to be Jews. And yeah, it, I, I I'd never I'd never looked back at some of the earlier stuff he was writing about. I didn't realize that that yeah there there was some there was some stuff right there from the start. His book, um, the one you mentioned, the Robots Rebellion, his book from nineteen ninety four, and not the computer game Rise of the Robots. Rise of the Robots as far indeed. as I'm aware, is not anti semitic. It's, it's, it's no, it's uh, it's it's just a pile of crap, as I recall. It doesn't need anti semitism to make it any worse than it was. But no, the, the, the Robots Rebellion explicitly refers to the protocols of the Elders of Zion. When he talks about the the shadowy cabal, the shadowy cabal, potentially extraterrestrial cabal, who actually runs out the uh, um, runs the world, and again he'll sort of again he's he'll run the line that yeah yeah it's it's not I, I I'm about these anti, these evil reptilians I I I'm I'm not being anti-Semitic 
I'm just saying what I believe about, you know, these, these much more weird, esoteric, cosmic, extraterrestrial stuff. But the fact that he refers specifically to the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which is, you know, a known forgery and a known specifically anti-Semitic forgery, it's, you, you can't really talk your way out of that. You know, th- th- there are the people these days who, upon being, told, be, being pointed out that, yes, Protocols of the Elders of Zion is a forgery, they say, well, yes, the document itself may have been constructed, but, the, but it's spiritually true. The things it's talking about are actually yeah. true. See, the Kerry Bolton line. Mm, yes, we know it's yeah. fake, but we also know it's a fake based upon a spiritual truth. Yes. So, and and then um, in his 1995 book, "And the Truth Shall Set You Free," he now I don't think it would be fair to say he engaged in Holocaust denial. He didn't deny the Holocaust at any point, but he does question some yeah, aspects. He was, aspects he was of asking, it. asking a lot of questions about it. In particular, he claims that in in part it was funded by again this small group of influential Jewish families, not all Jews, you know, that's what he'll say. Again, he's not saying Jews are responsible for the Holocaust, but he's saying some people who happen to be Jews were behind the Holocaust to an extent. And it's just, yeah, I I didn't realise he had had gone that far into it from an early age. And the thing is, the the thing that gets me, though, is even if you haven't read his early works and seen all this sort of stuff, it's 2023, He's been doing this stuff for for getting close to forty years now. He, he must know that even if he, even if genuinely in his heart of hearts, he honestly believes he's talking about an evil group of people that has nothing to do with the Jewish people whatsoever. He must know that the sorts of tropes he's trafficking in are identical to long-established anti-Semitic tropes, and that people who genuinely are anti-Semitic will be using the sorts of things he says to further their views. So even 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 in that case, I don't see how he can justify some that that, that line of 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 um of claims. Yeah, the thing which astounded me, because I've been to two of his talks, so I've sat through sixteen hours of David Icke talking to me and others about the conspiracy to control the world, is that yes, I've seen him deny being an anti-Semite and claiming variously that he only hates alien shape-shifting reptiles, and it's not his fault that they've infiltrated prominent Jewish families, or that his real issue is Zionists and not Judaism. So really his ire is towards Zionists, not Jewish people in, in general. So he's tried very hard from time to time. And I'm not saying he's succeeded, but he's tried very hard to separate his views from classical anti-Semitism. But I've been to two of his talks, and in his talks, he has a slideshow. And that slideshow is made up of art that he has commissioned to use in those slideshows, or fans have drawn, which he's included. And those slideshows contain classic anti-Semitic tropes, from you know the classic caricature of the money hung- hungry Jew, you know the one with the with the long nose and the and the fingers which are kind of tinkling beneath the nose to kind of show show greed, the use of the Star of David in the background. He is still knowingly using anti-Semitic imagery in his talks to this day, which I think kind of underlines the notion that, yes, he claims he's not an anti-Semite, 
and he claims his real hatred is for the alien shapeshifting reptiles or just the Zionists. But he is happy, even if he believes that, to use anti-Semitic tropes in his talks because he knows there are certain people attending them who want that message out there, that the real threat to the world is the Jewish person. And the real conspiracy is that being run by the Jewish people. Mm. So, yeah, um, other 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 developments um, since last we we really looked into him. Uh, I know this is something we've mentioned in the past, but one of the things that David Icke, because he's always been going on about about the elites being the, the elites who control us being horrible people. Uh, one of the things he's he's got a lot of mileage out of has been the idea that once once the truth came out about Jimmy Savile, he was like, ah, yes, well, you see, I'd always been warning you. I'd always been telling people about Jimmy Savile. Um, you know, I was right about him. So what yeah, else am I, I mean, right about? To give Alex Jones his due. He has talked about the notion of there being pedophiles in government since time immemorial, as has almost every single conspiracy theorist of his ilk done since time immemorial. You always blame the political elites as being child groomers, which is, I think, one of the reasons why he's so fond of being a turf, because he can now make the claim that, you know, there's child grooming going on in schools. It's those damn trans activists causing all the child grooming to go on. It's a useful canard to say that your enemies are not just bad, they're perverted as well. Mm. But the thing is, it was pointed out um, more recently that there's no real record of him publicly talking about Jimmy Savile um, until after Savile's death. Yeah. So, so there's I mean, no there's no record of him in any of the talks he's given prior to the revelations about Jimmy Savile coming out that he made any claims about Jimmy Savile and none of his written material which is all accessible mentions Savile at all until after the revelations have been made. So Ike is saying oh, I know I've been warning people about Savile since time immemorial. But there's no evidence of that being true. Mm. I mean, possibly he's had private conversations with people and he worked at the BBC. So it is possible he knew about Savile's activities because we now know that the BBC was part of the cover-up of Savile's activities. It was known he was engaging in rum doings. And the British government and the BBC did their best to make those stories disappear. But if Ike was warning people, he was not warning people publicly. Yes, yeah. I mean, one of the frustrating things about the whole Jamie, uh, Jimmy Savile affair is that yeah, lots of people had heard the story. It's, it seemed like everyone had heard the stories about him, but nobody, certainly nobody who was in a position to investigate to see if there was any truth to them did so. And the people who did sort of pass these rumours around just sort of would would not follow them up in any in any significant way. So yeah, I mean I I Or they were passed around as kind kind of a whisper network mm. of be aware of Jimmy Savile. Because remember, he was a major mm. media personality in the UK and had the ability to make or break careers. So the idea of speaking out against someone who was so beloved by the British public, you might have attempted to reveal what he was 
doing, but it could have ended very badly for you. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have no problem believing that David Icke had heard the stories about Jimmy Savile and had passed them on, but he doesn't seem he ever actually did so in a public way until afterwards. And Alex Jones has done the same thing about Jeffrey Epstein. Alex Jones claimed he was warning people about Epstein well before Epstein committed suicide or was killed in his prison cell. And people have gone back and gone, I mean, doesn't seem to have been mentioning Epstein at all until after his arrest. So there seems to be a kind of tradition amongst certain conspiracy theorist media personalities to backport things they've just found out about to say, oh, I was always right about that. I had my suspicions. I was right about that person. I never told anyone about it, but I was right about them. Mm. And also I did tell people about it. You just weren't listening at the time, Josh. Yes, no, no. Well, I mean, if it was Alex Jones, I, I mean, the, fir- the first thing the I ever he- said to you when we met during our BAs is that Jimmy Savile and Jeffrey Epstein don't trust them. And I bet you don't remember that at all. I have to confess, I don't know. I mean, it was a very strange thing for me. It was was kind of an odd thing, yeah, to to the very first thing you say to a human being you've only just met. But yeah, understandable, I guess. No, I mean, I just feel you need to warn Mm, people. I'm telling people about the dangers of these people since time immemorial. I'm just like David Icke and and Alex Jones. Mm. Almost exactly. Almost exactly, bar, bar a few fairly significant details. But yeah, so I mean, to be honest, I, I find David Icke a bit depressing these days. He, um, you know, earlier on, he, he seemed to be this guy with his wacky views, ultimately spreading a message of love and harmony. And who, anti-Semitism. And, yeah, I was going to say, and who, about whom the worst you could say is that he definitely appeared to be in deep denial uh, to, to himself over the true character of some of the stuff he was saying. And now he just, he just kind of seems like just another, just another one of these right-wing um, attention grabbers. He's, he's coming out with largely all the same talking points, the same as the, you know, the, the ones that pop up everywhere else. And his message seems to be a lot more negative. It's just... Um, I, mean, I wonder whether, and I'm thinking now of... Something was going around on social media a few days ago. So someone was making the claim that Elon Musk is turning out to be Henry Ford. Henry Ford in his early days was seeing as a visionary pioneer and then has come to be known as a conspiracy theorist and anti-Semite slash friend to Nazis. And Elon Musk, when we knew very little about him, visionary pioneer invented lots of important technologies and now we see him as someone who didn't invent those technologies he simply bought his way in into those companies and he's also a conspiracy theorist and a friend to nazis given the way he's running twitter now and i imagine the thing about david ike is that we've come to know a lot about david ike you talked about how david ike was a canny user of the internet And I think that has been both a boon and a downfall for David Icke. Because on one hand, David Icke's use of the internet has allowed him to extend his reach a lot further than if he'd simply remained, say, a radio personality or writer of books. It also means we now have a very, very large reference library of things that David Icke has said. 
And it's one of those bits of mounting evidence where you get to a point where you go, I mean, every so often he seems to touch on anti-Semitism. And now we're at the point of going, it's not every so often he touches on anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism seems to be very much ingrained in his worldview. So the more we learn about Ike, the more desultory our views on Ike turn out to be. Mm. In the same respect, the more we learn about Elon Musk, the more we realize that those early stories about how Elon Musk were great, that's just propaganda. Mm. Yeah, I mean, another aspect of the internet, perhaps, is one thing about David Icke's views is that, so as we suggested with the way he, he so enthusiastically adopts various pop culture as influences of, uh, of, of his theories, he ha- his theories have often sort of developed by just drawing in all these different things. I, I remember many years ago reading a thing, you know, sort of reading some of his earlier stuff, and he's got these reptilian shapeshifters and then a few years later, it had now expanded into, well, there's the, there's the reptilian aliens, and then there are these other ones from this planet, and these there, there, it was, suddenly became this, this great space opera about how you had all these different alien races coming from throughout the cosmos and sort of vying for control amongst themselves and so on. And a lot of it seemed to have come from, he comes up with his theory, and then someone else says, it's it's basically, I, I always just come back to the reverse vampires thing from The Simpsons when the kids are coming up with a trying to come up with a theory for why their parents are all acting strangely and um, they all have a bunch of different theories and then it sort of cuts back to a little bit later and they've managed to get all of the theories and stick them all together into one thing including Lisa's completely sarcastic remark about maybe their parents are reverse vampires and they can't go out during the night it's, it seems a bit like that and be, being in the inter- being on the internet I mean, he had even more people sort of feeding him all sorts of other weird stuff um, that, that got added into his views, and um, these days it's it's just just a lot of a lot of this white right wing white as well, just right yeah right wing grifter bollocks basically. It also sounds a lot like bad improv, where you know the principle of improv is yes and. So with your improv partner, you mean to take everything they say and go yes and rather than block them by going no. And David Icke and Alex Jones, I think, to a very large extent, are good examples of the, oh, yes, you must be right, and here's another thing, which is the, you must be right, but I know even more about this than you do, as they make up something to explain why they know something that they didn't know before. If you listen to Knowledge Fight, there's a, there are great clips of Alex Jones. Where, Alex, have you heard about X? And there'll be this pause where you can tell Alex is going, I've never heard that before, but he will then, oh, yes, of course I know about this, and then will make up something to try and show he knows more about it than the caller does. Now, that being said, David Icke has has changed his mind on some things, as we mentioned. He no longer thinks of himself as the Messiah. He admits he was hearing a voice at the time, but he misinterpreted what the voice was telling him. So he's changed his view on things. He's also been prominently against certain conspiracy theories. He was very dead set against 2012 doomsday conspiracy theories back in 2011 and early 2012. He was of the opinion that those theories made no sense. They conflicted with what he already knew about the world. 
So it's not as if he adopts everything he's heard and makes it into one guess old. There are certain things he will go, no, actually, that doesn't fit with my cosmology. I'm going to throw that one out. Mm. So, yeah, an interesting guy, but, um, but, 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 but one who I think I feel has, has gone significantly downhill over the course of his career. And yet can still get 90,000 well, people. Well, yes, to yes, yes. Has it hasn't gone downhill in terms of popularity. Okay. Hmm. No, I'd say he's. I think he's become slightly more popular in the UK due to him pivoting towards COVID lockdown conspiracy theories. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I think that's all we have to say about David Ike this time. Who knows when we'll get back into him again? But I don't doubt that we will. So that's the end of this episode, I think. But of course, there is a bonus episode. For our our beloved patrons, the the shiniest and most sweet smelling of people. Now, there's been some interesting. Uh, I was going to say Ukrainian. It really happened in Russia. Really interesting developments with the Russia-Ukraine conflict that uh, nobody possibly seems a false to be, flag. Possibly even uh, we should talk about that. And then perhaps we should also once again go and have a look at David Icke's website and actually report on precisely what it is he's saying today. So if you want to hear us reacting in real time to the contents of davidike.com. Something you couldn't do at home yourself. You couldn't just go to David Ike's website and react to those articles yourself. No, you no, want to hear us reacting to it, obviously. Where's the fun in just reading someone's website, honestly? Uh, so go, uh, go sign yourself up as a patron if you're not one already. You can just go to betrayon.com and search for the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy. But if you're not a patron... We hope this episode was informative. We hope if you'd had heard of David Icke, you've 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 learned something you didn't know. And if you hadn't heard of David Icke before, uh, I imagine this may have been something of an experience. But uh, I don't think we have anything else to say right now. So I'm just gonna just gonna say goodbye. I'm gonna say I don't think we still like Ike. In fact, I'm not sure we ever liked Ike to begin with. Mm. You've been listening to the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, hosted by Josh Addison and M. Dentith. If you'd like to help support us, please find details of our pledge drive at either Patreon or Podbean. If you'd like to get in contact with us, email us at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com. Marty, we gotta go back to the conspiracy.